Welcome to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm Pete Mazzetti. My guests this evening are Joe DeLong, who's the Executive Director of the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities, and Carl Fortuna, who's the first selectman of the town of Old Saybrook. Gentlemen, welcome. How are we? Pete, I'm just excited and appreciative to be here. I know. Mile, milestone show for you. I know, so Joe. I, I know. Hi, Joe. I, I am honored you, to buddy? be your guest. It's such uh -huh. an important occasion. Yeah. Hey, Thank you for having me back. Yeah, um, thanks for coming down. And for those of us, those, those of the viewers and listeners that don't know, this is actually a very momentous occasion tonight on the Pete Mazzetti Show because this is show number 500. So, Pete, when did this start? And what, what, I, I'm actually what? curious. Are you going to interview me now? I am okay. a little bit. So, okay. how did you get into this? Number one, how did okay. this come about that you're on cable access TV? How long ago? Okay. did you start doing it and tell us a little bit about that all right it first started a bunch of years ago i've been doing i've been doing this for 17 total years i've been with valley shore for about nine of those 17 and the way that the show got started was i went to comcast cable in clinton to drop off my cable bill <laughs> went behind went through the back door to the public access entrance to drop off my bill because it was after hours rang the doorbell the public access coordinator at the time says to me come on in okay so we, we were talking and i said to he says to me the town of clinton does not have a community affairs show i'm like okay that's interesting i'll be back my mom was on the board of selectmen in Clinton at the time, ran across the street to a meeting. I was meeting her at the town hall. Willie Fritz, who was yeah. the first selectman in time, I'm, I'm sure you both know that name. Mm -hmm. I yeah, know the no, name. Okay. Oh, I remember Willie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I say to him, hey, the town of Clinton doesn't have a public access show. Walks around his desk, pats me on the shoulder, shakes my hand, congratulations, wow. it's yours. And he was actually my first guest for the first edition of the show, and we talked about the budget because it was it was right around budget time for the town of Clinton. So, did you have a desire to get into this? Like, how did that? Or, or it sounds it sounds like you're. Yeah. It's a coincidence. It was a but, coincidence. But did you have a desire to get into either public access or interviewing people or TV? No. Were you going to be a movie star is my question. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to be a movie star. I was just going to be Pete Mazzetti, but it, it, it then morphed and transformed into what we see now. Which is Pete Mazzetti movie star. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, yeah, no, it's amazing. 500 shows is a lot of shows. It's yes. an amazing accomplishment. It really Absolutely. is. 500 guests. Oh, absolutely. Interviewing 500 people is not easy. Right. And I'm about 100 of them, I'd say, of the Nine, 500. Not yeah, quite. Oh, sure. Not. Uh, <laughs> probably five or so, anyway. Yep. And I thank you for that yes, opportunity. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, that um, that's all. And you've had incredible guests. Absolutely. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Wyman, I yep. know. Uh, Congressman Courtney. Right. Uh, why don't you tell us some? Of, what? Why don't you tell us maybe one of your favorite interviews? I would have to say one of my favorite interviews, besides Congressman Courtney. Be careful where you go here, because you have two of your former guests here. And <laughs> you two, yeah. I'd have to say one of my other favorites is forensics expert Dr. Henry Lee. Oh, right. Oh, when, wow, yeah. when, when Dr. Lee was here. He was a, that was a very interesting show. Matter of fact, 
DOT Commissioner Giletti was here not long ago. He's a good guy. Yeah. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. Uh, well, Henry Lee um, was on the circuit. He, he was yes. on the talk show circuit or talk circuit. Yeah. I remember getting Henry Lee uh, as a guest, a speaking guest, or on a, certainly on a TV show, was a get mm -hmm. because he was a really interesting guy. I don't know where he is. I don't even know where he is these days. I'm not sure. He's in town. Uh, he's in actually still, he still teaches okay. at the University of New Haven. Yeah. Well, he still, te still teaches at UNH, and they actually have a they have the Dr. Henry Lee Forensic Forensics Institute yes. on the campus of the University of New Haven. Okay, so so where do we go from here, Pete? Where, do you stay another another five hundred shows? You think? Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, okay. as, lo as long as I can put a sentence together, <laughs> I'm good. Okay. All right. That's uh, anyway. Congratulations hey, on that you. because uh, uh, sticking with it, and of course your staff has been great. Oh, everybody! Uh, everybody here is awesome. Every time I've come in here, it's incredibly professional, uh, really well done, and the studios are beautiful. Absolutely, and really nice. So, you know, Pete, it's hmm. it's interesting. It's and Carl's right. It's professional, but it also speaks to what community access television should be like when you come in here because you know I, I know and, and I know Carl does as well I get called to do a lot of you know network TV type interviews yeah um, and some pretty you know pretty popular high-end type you know high rating shows mm -hmm. and inevitably you get to the studio and they're running behind mm -hmm. um, number one the the person who's going to interview you who is always well put together and as a professional on tv behind the scenes they're running around trying to find their hairbrush and trying to find their notes and trying to do a sound check before two seconds before the thing's getting ready to run and it sounds right. like it's always like the, like a fire drill that right. goes on and then the moment the shows are done it's a really quick hey thanks for coming on see you later and get you out the door yeah where with you it's always it's a couple of days of like preparation of, hey, what all should we talk about? Mm -hmm. How do you guys feel about this? And then when it's over with, it's typically time with your, with your staff here, with the great staff here, right. and usually an invitation to go to dinner afterwards right. and to talk about things that are connected to the community. Right. And that's a difference that the people on the screen may not always see. No, but I think, But not. I think to some degree, it does come through on the screen right. because it's very local, very personal, it's very real. And so I, I know that um, with my schedule, a mm -hmm. lot of times I'll look at some of these interviews and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I got that tonight. Oh, I have to yeah. do that later on this week. I always look forward to coming here. Absolutely. It's we'll always a lot of fun, and, and you just feel like you're sitting in the living room with friends. Exactly. So congratulations oh, on that you. as well, because that's a unique thing to pull off. And, you know, on, on the public access part of it, people watch it. Uh, and I know I because hope. every time. No, they do. <laughs> uh, because when I'm on. I get comments from uh, citizens in town saying, hey, I was kind of popping through my channels and I saw you on TV. And I said, that must be the Pete Mazzetti show. And Absolutely. a few times I put up the link. You've sent me yeah, the link yeah, to yeah. the show and I'll Absolutely. put it on the town website because okay. I'm not here campaigning. I'm here talking about issues. Right. And we have uh, on our town website, uh, if you sign up for it, you get a push email. And so oh, it's, cool. it's going out to oh, is it? a thousand oh, people, two thousand people. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. 
I'm all about promoting Pete Mazzetti show. <laughs> there, so you there you that's go. That's how I do it. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thank you for the nice words. You know, uh, one one last story. Yes. Um, which you'll remember, and so will Carl. Oh. On one of the previous appearances when we were on here together <laughs> during the height of COVID, so everything was over Zoom. Oh, right. Yeah. The, oh, only, the only time that I have ever done an interview, whether on Zoom or any, you know, <laughs> anything else, whether it was a meeting or whatever, that we were right in the heat of talking about something, you know, very important. Yeah. And right. my my young daughter oh. went into my basement and flipped open a freezer down there to get out an ice cream. That's right. And when she did it, she knocked off a plug that came through to the router and knocked oh. us offline. Oh. So That's which was good. Oh. Carl was just able yeah. to pick yeah, up and bring it home. And I, it didn't Carl matter. And I, I think we carried the rest of the yeah. show. So so it was the only time <laughs> yeah. that I was ever on a TV taping that my interview was lost because of my daughter getting ice cream. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you know, I was thinking, yeah. geez, I haven't been in the studio with Joe, but I remember that That's on right. Zoom. That's right. I now. do too. Yeah. 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 You and I, you and I were in together. Um, yeah. Today I had uh, my first board meeting in person uh, of this particular board uh, that I've had in. Well, since whatever, uh, March of 20. Okay. And uh, it's funny when you're used to seeing people over and over on a computer screen, right. you think you have a pretty good idea of what you, they look like, and then you, you see them in person and a little bit of a different impression. And uh, CCM and Kerma have started to meet uh, in person, but uh, this board was the first meeting in person, and uh, it was it really nice. Which board? I have to say, uh, the material, the Mira board, okay, Materials okay. Innovation right. Recycling Authority. Yep. So uh, good to see people in person that I've never met, never met in person. Some really? of those folks, yeah. I, uh, I was new, newer to the board in uh, late 19, early 2020, okay. and so some of the folks. There's been a lot of turnover on the board, number one. Number yep. two, uh, some of the folks that have been appointed, I've never met personally. Yeah. And you know, just good people, really, go really good to be in person. It, I thought the conversation, and it was about a three-hour meeting, um, the conversation is much more direct and much, um, w when you're having a conversation with someone and maybe a little bit of a disagreement, uh, it's a lot better in person. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I think than it is over Zoom. That's uh, for whatever reason, um, and we had a few of those disagreements today, but oh, we'll, oh we'll no. work them out. There you go. Now, let me, Carl, yeah. let me ask you this: as far as you mentioned, Mira, yeah. obviously they're the trash authority. Trash authority. Now, I saw yeah. on the news recently that they're closing their facility in. Is that Hartford? So, yeah, South Meadows in Hartford. Okay. Now, what do, what does that mean for the area? So how much? How much time do you have? We got we, uh, we got some time. Uh, Go for it. No. Um, <laughs> so Mira was the or is the trash authority, right. uh, a semi um, quasi public organization. Okay. Um, was the trash organization for 52 towns, which meant they burned the garbage. It was a trash gotcha. trash to energy plant that you read about that is closing yep. um, by August. 30, by the end of August, it's going to be shut down. Okay. Um, so the trash that is generated from the remaining mirror towns, and there used to be 50, 50 to 55, uh, there are now only 20 to 25 towns. All right. Uh, so the amount of garbage that Mira is controlling is a lot less. Um, but what it does mean for 
the towns that remain in Mira and the towns that don't are no longer in Mira is that that trash is most likely going to be transported out of state and buried in the ground somewhere okay right. so it no longer will be burned it will no longer be trash to energy um, it is an incredibly environmentally unsound um, uh, occurrence that has taken place here uh, this is a, a problem the end of the Mira plant the mm -hmm. trash to energy plant was something that was identified 14 years ago needed lots of investment um, it never came the and most recently Governor Lamont <coughs> and Commissioner Dykes decided that um, the plant in Hartford in South Meadows was not something they wanted to invest in maybe for a lot of good reasons right. uh, it's an in, it's in an environmental justice community um, which is all over the country you know these these types of um, these sightings of either landfills or trash energy plants tend to happen in those communities right. uh, which is <coughs> a bad decision in the first place so but there's no alternative now in terms of trash to energy or burning of garbage uh, and as a result of that I mean there are other plants in the state but they're at full capacity right. so there's not a lot of other places for the garbage that wa was the mirror towns or were the mirror towns to go um, it's just uh, there, there is, a, and I know Joe knows this, there is a, um, a working group, a task force uh, that has been appointed to try to envision the path forward for Connecticut because eventually some of these other trash to energy plants are going to close. I think there's three or four others. Yeah. Uh, they're also going to have uh, uh, some major um, repairs that need to be made and and the money may not be there to make those repairs uh, so what is what does Connecticut want to do with their trash going forward do we want to be uh, self-sufficient with our trash right. or are we just going to say leave it at the curb take it away I don't care where it goes and I don't care what state it goes I don't care what community it goes to and it's gonna go in the ground so I was, I was talking, uh, when I left the meeting, I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone. This is a hard topic to talk to <laughs> my girlfriend about or, you know, right. because you know what happens, eyes glaze over. Right. They're like, I put my trash out, it goes away. That's yes. all I know. Right, you don't um, know where it goes. But uh, it's going to get a lot more expensive and do we really want to put more trucks on the road or diesel-powered trucks on the road at six dollar a gallon diesel. Right, exactly. Uh, it's it's a horrible environmental position that the state of Connecticut, which is, I, I hate the word progressive uh, when we only talk about good things. I mean, you can be progressive in many directions, but we consider ourselves to be progressive in terms of good solutions, and this is a bad solution. And I don't blame the governor and I don't blame Commissioner Dykes. In fact, I will tell you, Commissioner Dykes, I think, is doing um, tremendous work yeah. trying to move the needle. But moving the needle is going to be difficult when you start talking, oh, let's, let's recycle more. Let's uh, have people compost more. Pe that's not going to happen on a large scale unless you have major investment in the state of Connecticut right. in uh, 
plants that will uh, aerobic anaerobic digestion plants mm -hmm. um, that will take the food. There's a couple of them in the state of Connecticut right now. Um, the solutions have to be big, and quite frankly, they have to be public. Yeah, this isn't going to come from private money. Uh, I, and I and Joe, I know, is working on this through yeah. CCM. Joe, I don't know if you Joe, have something you want to add to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I it is an incredibly difficult issue, if not simply for the fact that I can say I'm Joe DeLong, I'm running for governor, and what I'm going to do is make sure that your trash is properly taken care of. Right. Like it, it doesn't garner that type of attention, and when it does gather that type of attention, and somebody says, no, we have to be responsible. I'm John Q. Public, and this is important to me, and I don't want this trucked out of state, and I don't want it buried underground, and I want to do the right things, and we come back to them and say, well, okay, well, that takes a, a budgetary commitment that now there's not as much money available for these other projects that you care about, X, Y, and Z, right. or it's going to be an additional cost or an additional expense. And now all of a sudden that John Q. Public person says, ah, wait a minute, you yeah, know, right. yeah, it's important to me, it might be a little further down. The other side of the issue that's somewhat uh, tricky that people don't think about is when you talk about something like the Mira plant or these plants once they go offline, yep. they essentially become what you think of as like a Brownsfield or something. They become a massive site that takes incredible cleanup. Now, if I'm a community that's willing to host mm a new trash site, the first thing that I want to know is that when that site goes offline, are you going to clean it up? Are you going to take care of my community? Is this going to be a workable piece of land? In order to do that, you have a responsibility to things like the Mira plant in the, in the city of Hartford. You have to be able to show that, yes, we as a state have a history that when it's time for this plant to close, we're not going to just leave it there as some dinosaur structure that's now a piece of property that's off of the tax rolls and you can't develop anything around it. Right. So it's, you know, it's, there's expense on the solution side, but there's also a lot of expense associated with the cleanup side. And if you don't take care of the cleanup, not too many people are willing to come on board to be a part of the next solution. So right. uh, on the cleanup side, the, and I, I know you know this, the South Meadows plant was a coal plant. Okay. It, formerly a coal plant, and mm -hmm. then it became a trash to energy plant. Uh, I, m sitting on the board of directors, that uh, piece of property is cleaner now than it was when Mira started. Sure. So no question. Uh, yes. I want to be. You know, there is talk about uh, the site and what the site's going to look like after Mira mm -hmm. exits stage left as an right. organization. Mm -hmm. um, but that is not going to be the responsibility of Mira or the Mira towns. Um, Correct. Uh, and I, I just want to be clear on that because that is an issue that does come up at the board of directors meeting. Um, the solution that we're coming up with, think about it. Okay. Okay. You break, you go to the beach, you break a beach chair, you throw it in the garbage. That's going to end up in the ground somewhere. Right. You know, we dredged. Um, in, in Old Saybrook, we dredged uh, North Cove uh, about five years ago. And I remember looking out and saying, there has to be a better way than watching a machine do this for two months, you know, and, and then you put it on, I think they call them scups, or, and they take them to a bigger ship, and then it goes to New Haven, and they dump it. I'm like, boy, that's 100-year-old technology. And that's what we're doing with garbage. We're using the same solution we were using 100 years ago. And I know 
No one wants to hear about this topic, but it's going to take state of Connecticut public investment to create a solution, and that solution is 10 years away, right. minimum 10 years away, um, because there's just not the will right now to make it happen sooner. And you know, and if, again, siting is going to be a huge issue. Um, siting, you know, you, you're going to have trucks coming through your roads in your community. Right. So um, it's a, it's it's a, it's a big issue that I I try to raise. I've raised it on your show before. Mm -hmm. I write about it in, you know, in town, in my local newspaper, uh, try to encourage people to do a little bit better. It's just not easy to do. No. Not an easy topic. Absolutely. On and, that light note. And, yeah, I know, I know. I get, so, you know, I dread when people talk to me at parties sometimes because I can go down the rabbit hole quick. And, and you know, uh, a good friend of mine who lives in, in New York, um, he was he was vacationing in the Adirondacks, or he was he was in upstate New York, and he goes, I ran into a lady from Old Saybrook. I'm like, get out of here, yeah. All she could tell me about was the septic issues in town, <laughs> and we have this huge project, and I'm like, oh my God, you know? <laughs> and so he now will ask me now and then, because I informed him of uh, all the issues that we're facing, and you know, what we have to do to satisfy DEP going right. forward. And so he'll now ask me about that, but boy, I'll tell you, I can, I can make people's eyes glaze over pretty fast. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Joe, what's going on at CCM? Well, you know, we're gonna be hosting the gubernatorial debate. I again, the, the last gubernatorial debate a week before the general election uh. at our conference. Um, we did that four years ago. Okay. And, and one of the reasons why that's important is exactly for the rabbit hole that, that Carl <laughs> talked about going down because we have, when you put these candidates up in front of a room of local elected officials from all over the state, right. they're expected to address some of these issues that are so vitally important that maybe aren't the hot button issues the rest of the campaign, but really have major impacts on our communities. So it highlights these issues that sometimes otherwise aren't highlighted, but really need to be highlighted. So. That's something I think that you know that we're proud of and, and really looking forward to doing. And okay. um, you know, other than that, for us at CCM, it's it's business as usual. It's trying to work with legislators. It's trying to collaborate with people and bring people together. You know, I, I thought it was so interesting when Carl was talking about Zoom yeah. and and the difference between being on a Zoom meeting or being in person. And what I think we found that we've learned from from our perspective mm -hmm. is. Zoom is great for getting some people access or involved that otherwise weren't, right. that couldn't come to in-person meetings and, and you're reaching different audiences. But you can't do it all the time. You right. have to have that in-person aspect. And if you really think about it, and this isn't a statement against any political party or one right. side or the other, but if you really just look at the last, you know, I don't know, five, six years of what's happened in our political climate, of the animosity against, you know, from one party to another. Right. And some of the vile things that we see sometimes come down from Washington, D.C. It's so important, probably more important now than ever, that we bring people together to communicate face-to-face -to -face and right mm -hmm. across the table and collaborate. Because 
the pandemic from that standpoint could not have hit at a worse time. Mm. No. We were already no. being divided. We were, you know, we were already getting pulled apart in so many different directions. Not in a way of, I disagree with you. It was becoming, I dislike you. Right. You know, and so we had that happening in our political environment. And then we had the pandemic that kept people from sitting down face to face and talking to each other. And I think it exacerbated a little bit. So, you know, for me, it's it's been really nice in an organization that that really is all about the collective. It's all about bringing oh, together um, different views, different parties, different perspectives, but people that you have tremendous respect for and giving them an opportunity to learn from each other is, is so vital. And I know we've talked on this show before, Pete, mm. and I always bring it up and bring it up with, I wanna bring it up with Carl here because it's a perfect example. You see at the state level, it's, it's getting a little bit worse. It's not quite as bad as at the national level. At the national level, it's mm. terrible. But at CCM, I've been able to have work with people like your old friend Susan Bransfield, Absolute, who was a Democrat absolutely. first selectman from Portland. Absolutely. And then Carl, who's a Republican from Old Saybrook. And I can tell you, sitting in a room across the table, I wouldn't know if Carl was a Republican or Susan was a Democrat. They're two local elected officials that were trying to work out my favorite issues for their communities. You know, so it's that's one thing I tell people over and over again. Not only that, I mean, see, through CCM, I get to meet a lot more folks right. uh, who are in these CEO positions, and in the entire room, when we have a hundred people in the room, mm -hmm. you're probably not going to be able to tell the Democrat from the Republican because yeah. it's all solution oriented. Nobody is up there on their soapbox um, saying, you know, Old Saybrook, you know, you don't want affordable housing. Well, I, I tout how much we do with affordable sure. housing oh, in absolutely. Old Saybrook mm -hmm. because it's the right thing to do, and it's it's not you can't put that in a box and say it's a Republican or uh, a Democrat issue. But it's it's the favor it's my favorite thing about this job that I have right now um, that I'm lucky enough to hold, I guess, right is. Uh, that you're doing, you're just trying to move the ball forward and do what's best for your community. It isn't about partisan politics. And, you know, we all go home at night and we read in the paper the next day um, what goes on either at the state or the federal level. Mm -hmm. But I love uh, being able to call uh, Norm Needleman, who I consider a friend. Right. And we, we, we find so much common ground together. Angus McDonald in Deep River, uh, Tim Griswold in, in Old Lyme, and it's and and even the mayor of Hartford, who you know is a uh, a, a statewide political right. figure. Um, Luke and I have had great conversations of, on a variety of topics, and it's not partisan. And you know, once you, for some reason, it falls apart at the state level, mm -hmm. and you can't vote a certain way up there if you're a a freshman, let's just say freshman Republican or a freshman Democrat, you are not an independent, I mean, I shouldn't say this on TV, but I am. Right. You're not an independent voice. The truth will set you free. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, apparently. Yeah, right. Either that or it's, it's going to do something else. Yeah, uh, right. Um, but you're not an independent voice because you're not allowed to be an independent voice because you're whipped into a position up there. and. Uh, it's so different at the uh, town level, and I, I don't know, Joe, you're from West Virginia. I don't know if you saw that. Is it the same down there well, also? Well, I, I, mean, I think it is now. I think there's, there's this trend, unfortunately, that's gone that direction. I know, you know, years ago, I was the majority leader. Yep. One of my very best friends in the legislature was the minority leader. 
Ooh. And we would go to dinner, you know, a couple nights a week, and we would talk about And there were areas where we disagreed, but we never let those areas where we disagreed define us and slow down our progress in all the areas where we did agree. Right. In fact, we would even say things like, you know, listen, we're completely on opposite ends of this issue. Let's go out and let's fight it out, but we're going to hold our debate to this many minutes. I'm going to talk for this long. I'm going to say these things. You're going to talk for this long. You're going to say these things. And we're going to move, let the vote fall where it may, and then we're going to move on to the areas where we can work together. You just don't see as much of that. But I think what, really what's happened um, is local elected officials are so directly in touch with their constituencies. Mm -hmm. You know, they're with them in the grocery store, at the coffee shop, you know, just walking down the street. And what they do actually impacts people's lives in a tangible way in which people can see. Right. You know, they see it and they feel it. So local elected officials are really running campaigns based off of challenges, based off of issues and opportunities within communities. When you get to the state level, in many cases, they're running campaigns based off of, based off of party platforms. Yeah. And at the national level, it's all based off of party platforms. You even look here in Connecticut at the state level, how much after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade mm -hmm. that abortion is now an issue, not at the federal level, but is being used as this massive campaign issue at the state level. Now, there's it's not even an issue in Connecticut like the, of course there are pro-life people here no no question about that but the overwhelming masses regardless of which party that they're in yeah this is a pro-choice state yeah. you know and so we waste so much time on yeah. those things that are platform issues that are really designed to divide us yeah. right. as opposed to what these guys do which get together and say I'm dealing with this in my community. How did you deal with it in yours? And what were the outcomes? And, and how can we emulate that? Or how can we learn from each other? Because in, in reality, for the most part, now they all have their own, you know, they, they have their views, whether they're a little more liberal or a little more conservative, all those types of things. But at the end of the day, they have an actual job as a CEO to run something. Right. Much like a CEO has to run a company, they actually have to run a community where other elected officials at higher levels, they don't have to run anything. Right. They can debate stuff and they can go home and you know things kind of run themselves in different ways. And, and you know you even look at the federal level for years, we don't even have to have balanced budgets. Right. Yeah. Now, could you, could you imagine if Carl puts forth a budget at Old Saybrook that's not, well, we don't even have a balanced budget. It's just a budget. It's everything we want to do. We don't worry about it being balanced. You know what right. I mean? And so that's that's where I think that disconnect, because it's a real yeah. disconnect from reality. They deal with reality at the local level, and the further you get removed from that, the less reality you which, deal with. Which really amplifies the role of CCM. Right. Okay, because you get these platform issues at the state level, and the towns are just, the CEOs are just trying to run the town. Right. And then you get some of these platform issues, Democrat or Republican, mm -hmm. and we rely on CCM to be our advocacy voice up there to maybe fight on the extremes against either one of these advocacy issues. And uh, so I can tell you, and, and you know, I'm not here to toot Joe's horn, but I might as well, you right? Can. I mean, it's he's, fine. he's sure. to my right and he's in the room and we're on TV. Right. Um, but. Uh, I, I, my head 
explodes when I see some of the bills that get proposed in early in the session. Mm -hmm. And I'll email Randy Collins over there, or Brian, or Mike, or I mean, what a, a great staff uh, that Joe has over at CCM. But they are up there trying, trying to, um, again, I guess I don't care all that much. Impart some common sense legislation, okay, uh, on on some of these bills that get proposed, and um, I will. I'll tell people you can't believe the bill. I, some of the bills that get proposed, you can't believe. It's people. They're in a bubble. They right. they clearly have. Uh, they're out of touch with reality and have no idea the impact if they were to pass that bill and have it signed by the governor. That it would have on on either lo, you know any community or the taxpayers in the uh, this town of Old Saybrook or the state of Connecticut. So um, we rely on CCM and that team up there to really assist us with identifying problem issues uh, that appear in the legislative session early and then working to defeat them. And uh, Joe and his staff ask certain members of our communities, you know, that might be impacted to maybe come up and testify, submit leg legislation, uh, submit uh, written testimony, or the like. So, anyway. Would you guys mind sticking around for another segment? We'd be glad to. All sure. right, we'll be right back. You matter. You matter. You matter. And your words matter, too. Your words matter. What you say in the hallways at school or in the student section at a game matters. Words can be hurtful. Words can be offensive. Words can leave scars. Words can also inspire. Support and uplift. You and your words. Are they both important? As, As a matter of fact, yes. Community TV. Your neighborhood TV. Publicly funded and a reliable partner for cable companies nationwide. It provides transparent coverage of local and state government, education, and public programming. A digital town green that can be watched anywhere, anytime, and on any device. Watch us on today's high-tech distribution methods. Community TV in Connecticut. Local. Unfiltered. Reliable. And, and yours. yours. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm Pete Mazzetti, sitting here with Carl Fortuna and Joe DeLong. Carl is the first selectman of the town of Old Saybrook, and Joe is the executive director for the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities. Gentlemen, I'm going to use that term loosely. Welcome <laughs> back. Well, well, welcome back. Thank you. I've been called worse. <laughs> no no <laughs> doubt. There you have. So, Joe, let's open up this segment. I'm going to ask you about mirrors. Yes. Yeah, so, so we, when we finished the last segment, Carl was talking about sometimes the disconnect, not sometimes, a lot of times, okay. the disconnect from reality that happens at the, at the legislative level and some of the work that we try to do at the state house. Well, yeah. there's this system called MERS that not every community's in, Old Saybrook's not in it, but it's, 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 MERS stands for the Municipal Employees Retirement System. Okay. And it is the retirement system that local governments can get into that's run by the state. So to talk about some of the insanity that happens up there, when, when the municipal employee retirement system was created, that's for local employees, for right. the communities that are in it, you also had its, its kind of sister retirement plan called SERS, which stands for State Employee Retirement System. Okay. So the state workers are in this system, the municipal employees are in this system. Yeah. Makes sense, right? Sure. 
But what happened was when these systems were developed, the state realized very quickly that this isn't sustainable. We have to reform this system because the costs are going through the roof and long term it doesn't work. Okay. So what the state has done year after year is they've created new tiers in the state employee retirement system in order to try to make it more sustainable so new hires no longer come in on what was tier one, they would come in at a tier two. Okay. And when tier two wasn't sustainable, they created a tier three. And then when tier three wasn't sustainable, they created a tier four each time to try to make it a more sustainable system. Okay. But in doing that, every time they left its sister system, the municipal employees retirement system unchanged. So you had two unsustainable systems. <laughs> one we're gonna change four times to try to make it sustainable. The other one we're gonna leave completely alone. Here's why. Okay. The state system, state legislators have to try to figure out how to fund. Right. Which means higher income taxes, higher sales taxes, cutting things that they don't wanna cut in yeah. order to free up the revenue. So they've gotta deal with this problem because it's right in their laps. Right. The municipal employee retirement system, which they created, they don't worry about fixing it because it gets funded through local property taxes. What? So they just shift it down to the local level and say, you guys raise the property taxes all you want. That doesn't stick to us. That, that, you know, so, so, so when Carl has to raise me? property taxes, nobody's running to his local legislator and saying, it's your fault. They're looking at Carl. You know, right. so that that's some of the type of stuff that we deal with on a fairly regular basis. So what okay. I hear, and, and we're not in the system, but to give you a good example, uh, Old Saybrook had, like many towns, a what they call a defined uh, defined benefit uh, a defined benefit pension plan, which okay. is basically a traditional pension. Right. Think of it as you get your check every month, no matter what, no matter what the stock market does no matter what, based right. on how long you worked, how much you earned. Um, we changed that on July 1 of 2017 to what they call a 401A system, which is um, a defined contribution plan, okay. which means every employee we hired after that, the town contributes up to 8% of that employee's uh, salary, and the employee can contribute up to 8%. They must contribute at least 5%. Okay. Um, but if the market, stock market, if they invest, if that's how they choose they want their investments, goes to zero, the taxpayer is not on the hook for that, okay? Because it's, in, it's, it's a, what they call a defined contribution plan. It's not a guarantee uh, of a monthly check. It's, it's um, basically you save for your retirement, yes. and the town will help you save for that retirement. Um, some of the towns that are in the MERS system the state has gone to more of a uh, what hybridized yeah more of a hybrid uh, shared risk type of retirement retirement yeah. system okay. and and some of the municipalities in the MERS system say hey we want either a 401a which is a defined contribution plan or we want more of what the state has done with their employees and they still haven't done it it's amazing and these towns yeah. and you know when you're in a defined benefit system, you have a contribution you must make or you should make right. uh, because when the market goes down a little bit, your contribution, your, your monthly checks still have to go out to your uh, retirees uh, Yeah. Uh, and the market has gone down so there's less funding in the plan. So these towns want to be able to reform the, their, I'm not an expert on this, but 
I see what the problem is. These towns want to reform their pension plan and the state is not allowing them to do it, is what it comes down to. Yeah, and all this, all the state had to do was just mirror its own reforms. Yeah. Right. Like if, if you're gonna make the, the SERS, if you're gonna make a reform to it, then that form should be mirrored in the MERS. You know what I mean? So okay. to keep them in parity. But the state was never concerned with that parity because they looked at the municipal system, which they created and controlled, is not being their problem because they're not the ones who have to directly fund it. Right. And so it's, that's one of the types of things that drives this state to having some of the highest property taxes in the country, that, that type of poor decision making. So, and, and the other thing I want to point out, because Carl has rightfully talked about the good work done in Old Saybrook not to be in that position, but the communities that were lobbied essentially by the state to right. get into the municipal employee retirement system it's like the Hotel California. <laughs> Once you check in, you're never checking out. Exactly. You know, they, they've got you and it's yeah. like, you can't, you can't just say, you know what, this isn't working for us, we're out of it. It doesn't work that way. No. So, so they're, they're stuck in this system that they know is unsustainable, that inherently continues to drive their cost up and up and up and up. And every year we go to the General Assembly and say, can you please fix this? And don't, we're not asking for special treatment. Right. Just give us what you've given yourselves. Right. And, but we just can't, haven't, haven't succeeded in getting it done yet. So, you know, in an era right now where the state has money, because, you know, uh, there was Lots a time when the state didn't have money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we've talked know, about it. The Malloy years, right. uh, mm -hmm. for instance, you know, the, uh, you know, Ned Lamont uh, came in and um, market gains and, uh, capital gains taxes and w w whatever happened, uh, the state is chock full right now. And now, and I know there's um, there's law that um, directs where some of that funding should go, mm -hmm. and a lot of it is going into the state pension system, which is fantastic. Right, I'm all for that. I think yeah. that's a good use of the funding, uh, but the state needs to look at the trash issue. The MERS issue yep. and some of these issues because there may never be another chance right. to, to get out ahead of some of this stuff and make an investment uh, that may uh, really benefit a lot of the towns in the state of Connecticut. So, there you go. <laughs> it's a good segue talking about all the federal funds and some of the good work you're doing. Uh, I know. Yeah. So, didn't mean to take over as you a host there, but that's okay. <laughs> just so, you know, what I know yeah. briefly one of the things we were talking about prior to coming in the studio was all the money that's out there right now, all yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the grant money. Um, you know, we have the ARPA funds, so uh, American Rescue Plan mm -hmm. funds, which Old Saber received $3 million. You know, sometimes when I say that number, I go, $3 million, that's a lot of money. You know, our municipal side budget, not the Board of Ed side, but our municipal right. side budget is $21 million. You're talking about $3 million that we get to inject right. into the community. And we're making some decisions right now about how we're going to do that. Okay. I have a, a committee of eight uh, that meets every other Tuesday, and they're going to make some recommendations. So we have that money out there. Um, you have the state has put forward, and, and Joe might be able to shed some light on uh, some of the community challenge grants. I don't know how much you know about that grant program. I'm not deeply versed in But it. the state is looking for transformative public-private partnerships. Okay. So I, uh, um, we have a couple properties in town that the landowners and Old Saybrook residents, if they hear this, 
will be able to determine which properties in town that are beautiful pieces of property that are underutilized and it's a piece of property in town that is uh, uh, on the water mm -hmm. and uh, people ask me about it all the time so I've given up a lot of hints to it but uh, we're, we're talking about maybe engaging with that where the town would put in some money the private property owner would have to put in some money but you could make a three million dollar investment that those two entities put in you could make that into a six or seven million dollar pro uh, project with the state community challenge funds that they're putting up right. so you could take a three million dollar project and say okay can you make that happen with seven million dollars Sure, that makes a big difference you know uh, and it puts it can put a lot of communities over the edge in terms of putting a, in a transformative project on their map. Um, and uh, there's, uh, then there's the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which is the Infrastructure Act. And okay. one of the things I want to do, Pete, on hmm. Saybrook Main Street, you probably know this, um, I, I want to put in for, and Joe, I mean, I don't know how many towns you're working with on this, if any, but um, I want to put in safer crosswalks on Main Street. I don't know if you've been on our yes, Main Street. Yes. So we have a four-lane Main Street yes. with lots of parking on the side. So, mm -hmm. And we have four crosswalks on Main Street. And when you come out onto that crosswalk, you sometimes take a light, your life into your hands because this car may stop, but the other car right. on the other side of that car may not stop. And that happens over the course of four lanes. So um, I'm going to borrow a page from Middletown because okay. Middletown, I don't know if you've been on their Main Street, but no. what they've done is they have bumped out their crosswalks and raised. So you really? come yes. out and you're, this, you're a little bit higher than the road and uh, the parking area, well, anyway, the, the crosswalks are bumped out okay. right to the street line and uh, we're going to put in some signaling and that could be a million dollar project on Old Seabrook Main Street. Right. So uh, through our COG, yep. uh, because the projects for the IIJA, which is the Infrastructure Act, have mm -hmm. to go through the COGS, we're gonna put in for a Safe Streets grant. So um, one of the things at our, I had a meeting on our executive committee for our COG last week, and we have a meeting this Wednesday of the full board. One of the things I told Sam Gold to mm -hmm. make sure he puts on there is to keep highlighting all the money that is available. Right. Because what we don't want to do, and I'm part of a group of smaller communities on, in the lower uh, Connecticut River Valley. Yep. I, don't wanna, I don't want Deep River or Old, or Old Saybrook or Old Lyme to say, oh, IIJA, it's federal, we can't do it. I don't want to lose sight of that because mm -hmm. there is a lot, a lot of money. Of money a lot of opportunity. And opportunity mm -hmm. And that's true with the Community Challenge Grant, too, and um, some of the other grants that are coming out through the state, in addition to any bonding <laughs> that the state does. We just got $500,000 through um, the bond bill that came through last year. Uh, we're going to put in for a steep grant, uh -huh. Small Town Economic Assistance uh, Program, uh, $500,000. And one of the things we're going to do, Pete, and this might be of interest to you, um, we want to build sidewalks from the Westbrook town line okay. to the intersection of Spencer Plain Road, which is Route 166 and yep. Route 1. 
which is the former Benny's Plaza. Yes. The Big Y Plaza. Yep. And there are um, there are two Vista communities over there, Vista mm. Opportunities. Yep. Uh, and there's uh, fifty about fifty apartments over there. And a lot of those folks either ride their bikes or walk, and that's where they get their supplies at Big Y. Right. Um, the, there's a Wayback Burgers there. There's mm -hmm. a couple restaurants, and the old Benny's Plaza is slated to be redeveloped. Okay. So there's huge opportunity for those folks to either get further employment right. or uh, amenities by building these sidewalks. So that's our steep grant that we're going to put in. Nice. Uh, we're recording this progr program on a Monday. It'll be Wednesday that we're going to submit. Nice. Um, and you know, my, I've, been, I've had a huge priority for sidewalks in our community. Right. We're a, a, it's a great walking community. And we have gotten two connectivity grants uh, from the state totaling $1.1 million. The town has put in every year from surplus funds, if we have a surplus, at least 200 to 250,000 into sidewalks. Um, and once I finish this um, Westbrook to Old Saybrook project, mm -hmm. you'll be able to walk from the Westbrook town line all the way to Saybrook Point, all the way to the train station if you want. Really? And not trip on your sidewalk. No. Yeah, and just have or ride your bike if you right. want, even though, you know, I don't love when people ride the bikes on the sidewalk. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, and some of the walkers don't like it, but it's a huge priority for the town of Old Saybrook because we're such a walkable community. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, you have kids who, you know, use the sidewalks to go to high school, the middle school, the grammar school, and it it's just a quality of life improvement that I love to do. It's I my favorite thing. I used your sidewalks in Saybrook this morning. I got off it the coffee place across from Staples. The new one? No. no. Okay. Staples. Okay. Yeah. That America runs on. Oh, oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, <Duncan>. Yes. <laughs> and got a cup of coffee. Yeah. And walked to work. Yeah. So but from my there. My question for so you is the, I believe it's the, I believe it's Lynn, Lynn, Lynn Street. Yes. Which is where it's, Right across from TJ's. Yes, is, that's affordable. That's housing. That but is. what is that? In, what is the building in front of that? Uh, it's that? Go, going to be a restaurant. Okay. Because I've yeah. I've been watching it go up. It's like yeah. okay. it's beautiful. I see I see, it's, I see the I see the bays. It's like yeah. is it going to be an auto garage? Because it just looks like it. Because it's got the no. automotive bays. No, it's it's, like, it's it's going to be a restaurant. And okay. you know, a couple things, and then I'll. I can turn it over to Joe maybe as the closer You're for the program. You're doing just fine. Uh, <laughs> I just want to give a couple uh, um, Plugs. props to our Main Street. Uh, we've had a tremendous summer. Um, we have uh, a grand opening of uh, Gargano yep. Pasta coming yep. up, uh, which is the old North Cove Denali yeah, building I walked by on Main today. Street. Uh, the proprietor of that building is uh, Joel and Lanny Gargano. They're uh, from Grano Arso in Chester which is one of the top 10 restaurants uh -huh. um, always in the state of Connecticut. He is a brilliant chef. Uh, she's a wonderful business lady and they are opening a, uh, basically a smaller version of Italy uh, right on Main Street, Old Saybrook. Uh, and then we have another sushi restaurant, uh, a sushi restaurant coming in later on uh, this summer, but the, probably the most exciting grand opening we're gonna have. You ready? Yeah. 
Wait for it. Go for it. A cat cafe. A cat cafe. What? You got it. Where? Okay. Uh, okay then. So, where? Uh, it's going to be over by the running, uh, where you get your running shoes. Um, I'm forgetting. Soundrunner. Sound um, a, uh, okay. a, a, a lady, it's a philanthropic effort, obviously. Okay. There'll be rescue cats, and you pay 15 bucks to come in and hang out for maybe 30 minutes, and you can have maybe a glass of wine or a beer and hang out with cats. And it is, apparently there's one in New Haven. Uh, okay. uh, and I was in Savannah last October, and there was one called Pounce, yep. uh, and that was on the main street in Savannah. And they're super popular okay. with people who are not going to have an anaphylactic episode, right. <laughs> as well, you can I, imagine. I'll tell you this. That <laughs> anyway, very opens, excited about that. When that opens, I'm going to take my daughter there. And the reason why is my daughter is uh, 12 turning 13, yep. and I share with her all the time that I, having a teenage daughter is a lot like having a cat. Yes. I, I can walk over to the cat and kind of the cat wants to see me and I can pet on it and love on it, it'll purr for a second and then when it's had enough it turns around and hisses and swats at you. Right. That's exactly what teenage girls do. Yes. It's the, it's the same response. So I, ter I tell her that all the time. I'm like, you're like having a cat in the living room. I right. come over and I, you know, I talk to you and I love on you and I rub your back and we have a conversation and all of a sudden when you're done you hiss at me yeah. about something and, and you move on. Exactly. You know, so. Um, right. one, of the, one of the things that, that Carl had talked about when he was talking about the IA, IA, IIJA grant mm -hmm. and the, um, mm -hmm. the sidewalk projects that I think gives a little bit of an opportunity to do is to also, um, number one, praise the COGS, yep. and number two, talk about, we, we talk about our frustrations with the state, but here's an area that the state has great opportunity mm -hmm. and is working hard to get it right. Yep. And so many props to the state for this working hard to get That's it right. True. And that is that it's very hard to write grants. And for a town like Old Saybrook or Old Lime or whatever it is, you know, they only have so many resources. And right. grant writing is difficult. But because of good work being done by the COGS, mm -hmm. the COGS are becoming like aggregators of these projects to where they say, you know, we may have four or five towns within our COG that want to use IIJA money mm -hmm. to improve their crosswalks. Those don't need to be four or five separate grant proposals. No, in fact, that. you could even look at those. What the state is doing is saying, okay, COG, you send me yours. The state's looking at other COGs to send theirs in and to bring those together to write one big giant grant proposal to the federal government to do the project that Carl wants to do and the ones that other communities want to do to be able to really get as much of that funding as possible. So That's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. So, so that, our, a million dollar work. project for Old Saybrook is not going to register at, in Washington. However, a $25 million Safe Streets Connecticut-wide project is going to register. Right. And it'll have Ned Lamont and um, Mark Boughton uh, championing it. Right. So. And General the COG director's doing the work. Yeah, exactly. That's right. yeah. Gentlemen, guess what? Another hour? We're done. No? Okay. 500 in the books. It is. That was <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Hey, Pete, Thanks, congratulations. Thank so, you, Carl. Okay, and thank you so much. You got it. On behalf of Carl Fortuna, Joe DeLong, I'm Pete Mazzetti. Thanks, good night, and we'll see you next week.